So um, this is going to be different to a normal KXC talk. It's not going to be based, rooted in any particular passage. It's going to be looking back on what God's done over a decade. If you're visiting us, massive welcome. Um, you're going to be eavesdropping in on us, just celebrating um, lots of stories and how God's been at work in this community. Um, and a number of things, as I said, I want this to be an act of worship. Secondly, I, I want it to maybe articulate, at least in part, who we've become over a decade. Um, it would be easy to slip into vision mode, like casting vision and, and on this foundation we're going in this direction. Um, but actually, more than that, what, what happened there? <laughs> hey, there we go. Um, on... Rather than casting vision, I want to articulate this is who we've become over, over the story. Um, because you'll know people, I know people that had a dream, pursued the dream, um, the dream became a reality, and then they look back and basically say, I don't like who I became. I made numerous compromises on this journey. I, I've tasted the dream, I've got to the promised land, but I don't like who I've become. Um, we never wanted to make that mistake, so we wanted to intentionally become more like Jesus. So I want to sort of articulate who we've become over the journey as we celebrate the goodness of God and maybe just to get things going just to build up faith I want to ask a couple of real simple questions um, in a minute I'm going to ask a number of people to stand um, if you came to faith at KXE, this is the first time you encountered Jesus and you gave your life to Jesus um, as, as part of this community, or if you came back to faith, you maybe grew up with faith, walked away from it, and then through friends or whatever you know means, you came back here, fell in love with Jesus again and gave your life afresh to, to follow after him. Or if you came alive in your faith, like maybe you had belief, but as you came to KXE, it was like those sparks were fanned into flame the spirit set you on fire um, and now your faith is just feels completely different to what it was and um, when you first joined so if you came to faith or came back to faith if, or if your faith came alive in this community could you just stand wherever you are now could you just stand if you came to faith came back to faith or came alive in your faith um, that's amazing and can we just celebrate the, the activity of the kingdom of God by just celebrating what God has done in your lives that is amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. You can sit down. Okay, second, if you found a romantic partner here at KXC, that's obviously, obviously a joke. Um, so let's just move on and talk about chapter one. Um, we'd been praying KXC into existence from sort of like 2008, 2009 onwards. But I'll never forget the moment when the sort of beginnings of a KXC staff team, which was B, myself, Paul and Katie, Sori and Kath Dunn, as she was then, um, we started praying around King's Cross. We sensed that God was calling us to plant a church here. If you've been to a newcomer's meal, you've kind of heard the story of how we began. So I'm going to cut out a lot of that. Um, I'm going to start here. Um, we did a prayer walk around um, the King's Cross redevelopment site that had been fenced off. Um, so Argent, the redeveloper of the site, if you go there now, it's incredible, isn't it? You've got, you know, all these incredible restaurants, Dish Room's my personal favourite. You've got Central St. Martin's University, you've got the Google building, whoop, whoop, um, that's, you know, being built as we speak. You've got, you know, incredible stuff. But 10 years ago, it was wasteland. Argent, the redeveloper, they just fenced it off. Um, the global financial crisis had kicked in um, to 2008, 2009. 
And people were saying of Argent, you've bitten off more than you can chew. You have ambitious plans to develop a phenomenal site in King's Cross, you know, the heart of London, but you're not going to be able to deliver on your promises. So on the entrance into this wasteland site, they put up um, this massive placard, huge placard, and it said, King's Cross is being delivered. And I remember standing outside um, the placard, looking up with this small staff team emerging and with some of our core team, so Ian and Esther Alexander and Darren and Sophie Guthrie and Iona Ledwidge and Ben and Jen Pollard were with us then and Tom Powell and, and a few others and, and adrenaline coursing through our veins. It's the Spirit of God as well. Um, but adrenaline coursing through our veins, we looked up and we're like, that's a prophetic sign. Like Arjun are basically saying to onlookers, like you're doubting us, but we're telling you we will deliver on what we've promised. We've promised a phenomenal world-class redevelopment. We will deliver on the promise. But it is as if God was saying, no, 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 I'm going to deliver on my promise. I'm going to deliver King's Cross, historically known as the red light district of London, an area of significant deprivation with gang activity and violence and homelessness and other cycles of poverty that rob people of life. And as if God was saying through this massive placard, I'm bringing deliverance to King's Cross. And we stood below the sign like, yes and amen to your promises. That was over 10 years ago. I love the language of deliverance. Um, it speaks of pushing back darkness. Um, King's Cross has been known historically um, for the darkness that surrounds it. But God was saying, no, I'm going to deliver it. I'm pushing back darkness. But notice that the language of deliverance is also the language we use for new life. The baby's been Tough crowd. The baby's been like delivered. So, so like there's a pushing back of darkness, but there's this new life coming into the world. And on the 14th of February, 2010, a baby was delivered. Like no one really knew about it. Like newspapers weren't writing about it. Like no one was particularly interested apart from the 40 or 50 who gathered in this Lumen church on Tavistock Place. And we knew that this baby that had been delivered um, came into existence for the deliverance of King's Cross. God had spoken. God was on the move. He wanted to push back darkness. He wanted to break in with some light. He wanted to establish his kingdom in King's Cross. And it was a beautiful um, moment. And we cast the vision to recklessly, like all in, wholeheartedly, extravagantly, recklessly give ourselves away to God, each other and the people of King's Cross and beyond. And we saw this wave of miracles, like we were given 50 grand, like anonymously during this kind of global financial crisis. It was just incredible. And we were given buildings and other miracle stories that enabled us to get off the ground. And once we'd started, we asked the question, well, how can we be good news for King's Cross? If our mission is to bring deliverance to King's Cross, like where do we start? And God led us into these relationships and we developed some phenomenal partnerships with XLP, working with young kids, getting into gangs, choices working with vulnerable families only connect we partnered with a lot in the early days working with ex-offenders and through these relationships um, we developed a heart for the local area we've been given this prophecy I think Paul Sorey um, gave it at the very beginning um, that through KXC a red carpet was going to be rolled out in King's Cross who was there at the 10-year party on Friday just put your hand in the air if you were there okay did you notice the red carpet um, that wasn't because we thought you were celebrities um, it's because that was the 
prophetic picture that on this red carpet, people from all walks of life would come home. The language of homecoming was central um, in our foundations that people, like whether it be lawyers or bankers or sex workers, the homeless, um, young, old, every every people group from every walk of life coming home and tasting the love of the Father. And through these ministries, we made some incredible connections. We had a high value on establishing community where people could find healing. And one of the value statements we used a lot is we want to be a community that's safe enough for people to heal and dangerous enough for people to grow. We wanted people to to come to KXE and taste that kind of community where you could bring your real self. You didn't need to fake it, like rock up. Yeah, doing great, thanks. Um, Because when you present your fake self, this is the worst thing that can happen, be warned. When you're loved and you know it's for your fake self, you do yourself damage. Because you know that this person's being loved, but you know it's not actually you. So when you limp into the room and you say, I'm battling with this addiction and I'm struggling with anxiety and I've got this mindset that's killing me. It's a miracle that I'm here. Hello. You know, it's a miracle that I'm here. When you're loved as that person and you experience the love of the Father and the love of the room, the love of the community, that becomes an incredible agent of healing. A lot of us, myself included, B and I included, we found healing in those early years of like, Lord, you're bringing life to this community. Our wounds are, are encountering the love of God and we're being transformed so that we can be agents of transformation. Um, we had loads of parties um, in those early years and we had high value. We'd talk about partying in the midst of pain. Um, so we had poker nights, bingo nights, a random sumo and sushi night. We had a, a grand national night every opportunity we would party we knew there'd be pain on the journey like we knew it because life's painful right we knew there'd be pain but we wanted to celebrate the goodness of God and take every opportunity to party Um, and that was chapter one and this language and some of these values began to emerge we became a family on a mission you know wanting to see king's cross experience the goodness of god and taste the deliverance that belongs to the kingdom of god and that led to chapter 2 which i've called giving ourselves away um, andy kitchen took a phone call many of you'll have heard the story from a lady in singapore basically saying um, we own a seven story office block in king's cross we want to redevelop it but we need some charities to come in um, for a few years whilst we do all of our plans for redevelopment Um, if we get charities in we can get rate relief on the space we've done a google search we found kxe do you want one floor which was 5,000 square foot rent free for the next three years which is one of those miracle conversations we thought it was a sick joke someone was winding us up in a moment of real vulnerability Um, but we really explored it It was like no this is legit we ended up being given 15,000 square foot of office space um um, around that time, I went to Uganda to visit some churches that were seeing a wave of kingdom entrepreneurial think- thinking sweep through the communities. Um, these churches would send out missionaries. Um, they would preach the gospel. People would come to faith in Jesus. Um, they'd be formed into these small groups and they'd basically start reading scripture together and their identities uh, were rewired and suddenly realised they, they didn't have to live in this kind of victim mindset, that they were sons and daughters of the king and they had a royal identity and a royal vocation and God wanted to use them not just wait for westerners to come in with some cash God wanted to use them to lift their communities out of poverty and I saw these stories of like entrepreneurs emerging in Uganda met this one guy um 
part of the process in these small groups, you ask the question, what do you have in your hand right now that could alleviate human suffering in your community and create pathways to human flourishing? Um, and one by one, they share what's in their hand. And this guy basically said, the only thing I own is some swamp land. But the problem with the swamp land, it's the breeding ground for mosquitoes. So malaria rates are, are super high. So my land is actually causing suffering. My land is quite literally killing people in the community. And around the group, they're like, well, let's think differently. Like, what does God want to speak over this land? And they came up with a plan. They were going to try and dig up the land to create a pond. So they found 20 guys in the community that were going to commit 30 days to, to dig up this land and see if they could develop a pond. They kept digging and kept digging. And eventually, after a month, they hit the water level. An amazing pond emerged. And they started breeding fish. And it's perfect conditions for the fish. So they started multiplying. They started feeding people in the wider community but there was more than enough food for the wider community so they started taking excess fish to market to sell the fish that generated income so with the income they started sending their kids to school to get an education because we know that education is a key pathway out of poverty so this land that was killing people was now feeding the community and educating the children that would be enough, right? That's a good news story, but it gets better. They dug a second pond. You can see it just behind. They generated more income. They started employing people to manage the ponds. So they're feeding people, they're educating people, they're employing people. That would be enough. That would be a good news story, but it gets better. They start digging more ponds. They generate more income. With that income, they start building homes for those in the community that don't have homes. And then they ask the question, like, why are these conditions so perfect for the fish? And they discovered it was because the fish were feeding on the, on the mosquito larvae. So malaria rates were plummeting. So this land that was killing people and, and a cause of suffering became the land that was feeding the community, educating the children, providing employment, providing homes and causing malaria rates to plummet. So this community around the pond, it came alive. It was like a snapshot of Eden. Like I, I saw multiple stories like this and I came home buzzing. We'd just been given 15,000 square foot of space. So I said to the church and our staff team, like we've been given this land, like what's in our hands? Like how do we use what we've been given to glorify God, to extend the kingdom? Um, and people in the church started brainstorming. We said to a lot of the charities that we'd partnered with, this is more than enough space, more than what we need. Why don't you come in and create a home here? And together, if we collaborate, we could do some real damage for the kingdom of God in this part of London. So Food Bank moved in and XLP moved in um, and Choices, we partnered with Choices to create a baby boutique in the space. Only Connect took a floor of the building. The women's drop-in moved in. We set up KX Brunch, which we run to this day, a community cafe for the street population of King's Cross. And all these ministries like developed a newness of life. It was beautiful to see it unfold. And then on the second floor, Sian Laura Willows had this vision of what if we take this waste office and what if we populate it with waste furniture that's been upcycled? So they took scaffolding planks, sanded them down and built tables. And they took crates that used to carry sort 
sort of like fruit and veg in the market. They took those, restored them, built desks and restored furniture. And suddenly this office space that was totally stunning emerged. And before long, hundreds of freelancers and social entrepreneurs and startups moved into this space. Um, And we basically said to them, we've been given this for free. We don't need to charge you. So what you were going to pay as rent, why don't you just make a donation to fund some of these ministries and mission opportunities that are happening outside of York House. And an incredible story um, began to unfold with Tent co-working. On the third floor, we established a community cinema. We got just given randomly a cinema. Who gets given a cinema? This is the favour of God. And we created this cinema that we could use for the community and to host events. It was a season of blessing, a genuine season of blessing. And you've got to look back and name it. That was blessing. That's the favour of God. That wasn't gifting. We could never have orchestrated 15,000 square foot in King's Cross. I remember walking my mentor around York House, showing him the co-working space and the food bank and the clothes bank. We partnered with Mums the Word and the baby boutique with Choices and some of the kids' work that we were hosting in the space. And he just, you know, looked around the space like jaw beginning to drop. And he said, Pete, in terms of miracles, this is up there with the resurrection. (laughs) That was his response. It's a slight exaggeration. But he was like, in King's Cross, this is 2012 by this point, the market had risen, one of the most expensive parts of London, and we were given 15,000 square foot rent-free for three years. Why do we experience blessing in the kingdom? The answer is to give it away. And that's what we began to do. We began to give it away. All sorts of people were walking on this red carpet, walking into York House and tasting the goodness of God, the love of the Father and the embrace of the KXC community. New language began to emerge. We began to talk about cultural renewal. Like what have you got in your hand that could alleviate suffering and create pathways to human flourishing? Um, I developed one sermon that I gave and then I gave it again and then I gave it again and we began to develop mercy merchandise and that generated more income we didn't actually do that but someone did actually design that and say do you want this it's like no thanks Um, um, but I did begin to speak through the the narrative of scripture creation and decreation created order unraveling through sin we see that all around us but God's on a mission to make all things there we go recreation Um, and we see Jesus fulfills this story in the incarnation he takes on human flesh he enters the pain and he lives a life showing us what it means to be human and then he dies a brutal death so that we could experience the forgiveness of our sins and then he rises to new life to establish this new creation that begins to break in and if we're to follow the way of Jesus if we're to live in and live out this story we need to be an incarnational people a compassionate people that suffer with those that are suffering in King's Cross if it doesn't hurt you you're not fully fully following the way of Jesus so we want to be compassionate we want to be courageous we want to communicate the gospel with all of our hearts right? Like this message, it's going to sound like foolishness in the surrounding culture, but it's the power of God for the salvation of King's Cross for everyone who believes. And we want us to operate with creativity as ministers of this new creation. We're made in the image and likeness of an artist, image and likeness of a creator. We should be so creative, right? The spirit of the creator is coursing through our veins. So these three areas, compassion, courage, creativity, became a a central focus. We want to alleviate suffering. We want to proclaim the gospel. We want to go after cultural renewal. 
It was such a beautiful season, a season of favour. Chapter three, um, I'm going to call this letting go and holding on. We began to pack up York House. You can see them loading the skip. I think that was the final week as we began to pack down the tent, literally gave the co-working space and all of the furniture away. We gave the cinema away. We'd been blessed. We blessed others with what we'd been given for all the ministries that emerged in that season. They had to find new homes and that was hard and it was painful. Food Bank found a new home. The KX Brunch found a new home in the Calthorpe Project. The Baby Boo boutique eventually relocated to King's Cross Baptist Church as an office. We, we packed up the office. We found a really tiny office where some people worked from, um, which is a bit of a dump. Um, but the rest of us, we were like in coffee shops and working from home. Um, that was the season where we developed this language. We don't have a map. We developed that language partly because God was speaking, partly because everyone was asking, what's the plan? Yeah, what's the plan? Oh, that's really hard about York House. You know, you must be gutted. Correct, I'm gutted. Um, what's the plan? We don't have a plan. You can see terror, you know, begin to kick in. It's like, we don't have a plan. We don't have a map. But the people of Israel, they didn't have a map on their journey towards the promised land. God intentionally said, I'm not giving you a map. I'm going to give you a cloud by day and a fire by night. I'm going to give you manifestations of my presence. My presence is better than a map. Like with a map, you look down and you try and execute the plan. You know, when you have a guide, you look up. That's a New Testament spirituality. You look up. That's Jesus saying, I only do what I see my Father doing. I'm looking up. It's Paul saying, I'm trying to keep in step with the Spirit. Looking up. And we started looking up. We didn't have a plan. We didn't have a map. But God began to guide us. As he was guiding us, we were praying fervently for miraculous provision of a building and it wasn't coming and we started getting angry and we started praying more. And then we had this moment of just God speaking again. Um, we realised we were praying for a physical building. We were praying for a temple, if you like. But you know, it says in Acts 17 that God doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands. Um, so whilst I particularly um, was banging on the, the door of heaven for a building, I felt like God was saying, I, I'm not going to give you a physical building. Um, I've given you 400 mini buildings. This is what Paul says, right, to the church in Corinth. He said, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm, I'm going to dwell in you. Like that physical building trumps any other physical building like of stone and bricks. Like, and the thing about these mini buildings is they can go into homes and universities and workplaces. They can reach all corners of this city. So I want you to focus less on this kind of physical building, bricks and stone. I want you to focus on the 400 or so at that point mini buildings that you've got. And it's like, that's exciting tough as well but but that's exciting so we began to focus on discipleship we reimagined and Andy and Rachel Kitchen carried this reimagined like hubs activity hubs that built community around activities and village hubs that would gather in a location do life together and contend for the kingdom breaking out in that location course hubs where people would go on a learning adventure together that's when we began to think about discipleship in smaller groups pattern Pete James began to do some brainstorming and pattern emerge as a resource where we'd get into threes and fours 
and develop spiritual practices, patterns um, that would help us be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do the stuff that Jesus did. Um, we weren't focusing on a physical building in King's Cross. We were focusing on the 400, um, helping them live in and live out the story of God. Again, new language began to emerge. God was doing something really beautiful. Um, and whilst we were foci- focusing on the 400 mini buildings, God did provide a building for us, KX House. Um, it was a dump. Um, but it was everything we needed for that season. Like it was riddled with asbestos. So we, we cleared out the asbestos. That was mainly someone else that came in to do that, just in case you're worrying about health and safety. No, experts came in, they, they removed the, the asbestos. Um, and teams of volunteers from KXE began to paint and restore. Um, and another wave of creativity began to emerge. Tent co-working was resurrected and renamed. It became art co-working. Nick and Gav began to carry that. And that's been doing incredibly over the last four years. Um, growing hope, Naomi Graham had this vision of developing a clinic, providing free therapy for kids with additional needs. And that began. Um, and Dan Mars had this vision for a debt clinic. And that's when we began to partner with CAP, the morning congregation began. Anyone there in the Winton days, Winton Primary School days? There we go. Um, do you remember going to the toilet in the kids' toilets, like sitting down like that? <laughs> magical days, magical days. Um, and God continued to build his church. He promised he would, right? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell. They'll give it a shot, but they will not be able to get in your way. It was another beautiful chapter in our story. Um, And then it gets to chapter four, consecration. Um, You'll probably remember that I I preached less on creation, decreation, recreation. I threw it in every so often because the people were gagging for it. Um, But I I spoke about that less and I regularly was teaching from Joshua 3 verse 5 as God says consecrate yourselves today because tomorrow I'm going to do something amazing and it was this faith rising of like we need to ready ourselves because we're on the brink like this is a threshold moment exciting stuff's about to break out what does consecration look like well it actually looks like preparation purification and pruning doesn't sound pretty and it isn't pretty pruning is stripping back John 15 Jesus teaches I'm the vine you're the branches Um, and he begins to talk about like pruning that will take place but the pruning is for the sake of abundance right he strips back so that we can be fruitful he says I've chosen you so that you may bear fruit so we knew that fruitfulness was coming but we knew we were entering a season of consecration of stripping back and we were trying to get ready for that um Let me name a few key moments in that part of the story. Alan Scott came to speak at a weekend away and he gave us this prophetic word. He said, your destiny is hidden in your history. Um, And that sparked something in me. I wanted to look at the history of King's Cross to see if there were any clues about our destiny. Um, And as I looked at the history books, mainly Wikipedia, What I found was that in AD 61, um, there was a battle that took place in King's Cross. The area was only known as King's Cross from the 1800s onwards. Back then, um, this battle took place between the Romans and a Celtic tribe led by Queen Boudicca. Um, a battle had taken place over the River Fleet. The Romans won. They established a settlement and they called it Battle Bridge because they established a bridge over the River Fleet. In other words, the story of King's Cross is two empires colliding and there being warfare and bloodshed. And we'd ex- encountered like territorialism in this area and a lot of conflict 
conflict that was, seemed weird. And suddenly it made sense. That's how this settlement was birthed in battle and empires colliding. And that fueled our prayers. Lord, we want to see you redeem King's Cross. You've given it the name King's Cross, pointing to Calvary, pointing towards deliverance. Lord, would your empire break in? Would your kingdom come in? Which doesn't take other lives. You gave your blood so that your kingdom of love and justice and shalom might break in. And that fueled our prayers. And then I read about this other chapter in the history of King's Cross that in 597 AD, some Roman monks carried the relics of St. Pancras um, over to, to Britain. They were trying to find a base from which they could send out missionaries to the four corners of, of the British Isles. Um, and they settled at Battle Bridge. That's why this area is called King's Cross St. Pancras and they established a church. And I suddenly got really excited before King's Cross was sending out goods like up and down the country and across to Europe. Before they were ever sending out goods, they were sending out good news. Like this was a centre of evangelism and it was like God was saying, yes, you got it. You found the bit I wanted you to find in the history. That's your destiny. Ascending place of kingdom activity and missionaries going out and church plants and businesses with a kingdom vision you're going to send this stuff out heart began to race another key moment we as a staff team we have one of our retreats we go away for a couple of days each year um, and the, a few weeks before the staff retreat I'd been sent this prophecy and this prophecy basically said it was spoken over the UK and beyond um, that that Billy Graham, who'd, you know, through his ministry, seen millions and millions and millions come to faith. An extraordinary, extraordinary man of God. God used mightily as an evangelist. And this prophecy said that, that he, when he dies, that there was going to be a handing on of the baton, not from one evangelist to another evangelist, but from one evangelist to a generation of evangelists. And that there would be an outpouring of the spirit and it would usher in a new season um, in the church and I watched it I got really excited anyway fast forward a few weeks we're at our staff retreat we're worshiping we're praying someone's phone pings Um, they check the message and it's a notification that says Billy Graham has just died and I was like that's nuts like we were all quite shaken like what a hero for many of us and I was like I got sent a prophecy a few weeks ago that something significant was going to happen when Billy Graham you know passed on a baton would be handed on and I I played the prophecy and I was like we need to pray and we began to pray I've not been in many prayer meetings that feel like you're in the book of Acts the room didn't shake but the people shook Like some of our team were screaming, some were weeping, some were stamping their feet. It was like, oh my gosh, God is present in a remarkable way. Like it feels like heaven's really close. And I felt it was connected to this consecration leading to fruitfulness. At the end of that prayer gathering, it was an incredible time. One of our team, I won't name them, um, said, I feel like God's saying something else. I feel like God's saying you need to prepare yourselves for tragedy. And we just had this incredible moment of like the fire of God falling. I was like, don't kill the vibe. This is a great moment. Like we're in a zone. Um, And yet this word, prepare yourself for tragedy. Within a week or two of that word, I'd find myself in a hospital room praying for a miracle. watching one of the producers that we'd flown over from Redding, California to help us record our live album, watching him die before my very eyes. A number of us were gathering around like, Lord, no, not here, not now. Lord, save his life. And then we prayed a prayer of committal as we just gave him over to the hands of his saviour and came home that night totally devastated. And that week was honestly one of the worst weeks of my life. 
remember saying to Jeremy, the other producer from California, from Reading, you, you should just go home. Let, let's sack off the live recording. You know, it's way more important that you're with your family. Um, and he basically said, no, last night I felt God speak. I want to finish this live recording. I want to finish this project to honour Andrew Jackson's life and his legacy as a worshipper. We're going ahead. So we went ahead and on a Thursday night, I think it was the 1st of March, 2018, 600 of us gathered in Scala. And it was more lament than it was celebration. We brought all of our pain before God with this devastating thing that had happened. Um, and then during the course of the evening, it was like this lament turned to intercession. And it was like something was stirring in the room of like, oh God, you are here, you are here. I'd been preaching about consecration for a year plus, and and I felt like, no, this was the moment where we're crossing the Jordan um, and we're going to take on Jericho. And if you notice that story, they are spent. They've had 40 years in the wilderness. They are struggling. Like this isn't the time you go into battle. They actually circumcised themselves before they went into battle, right? Which just emphasises the point. You're going to go into this battle feeling unbelievably weak and vulnerable. But God was saying, I'm doing that because this battle doesn't belong to you. You pursue holiness. You get ready to worship. This battle belongs to me. All you're going to need to do is march around Jericho seven times, raise a shout of worship, I'll do the rest. So I was like, we're coming into this worship night, weak and really vulnerable. We're in grief mode, yet we're going to worship and we're going to raise a shout because we want the walls that stand in opposition to the kingdom of God and King's Cross. We want to say to them, your time is done. Like you are to come down now because the kingdom of God is going to break out. So the spirit of territorialism and, and the sex industry that's rife in King's Cross and the other side cycles of poverty and the violence and the, and the gang culture. We want these walls to come down. So I said, what we're going to do is we're not going to march around Scarlet seven times, um, but we are going to lift a huge shout of worship. And I just want to play you um, a little clip from that night. Six hours. Chop it. Um, I will never ever forget that night. One of the hardest nights as a leader for me to navigate, but one of the most beautiful nights of my life. Seeing 600 people like contending, like living by faith and not by sight. And I'll never understand, I will never fully know. Um, but I believe something happened in the heavenlies that night. And that roar rang out. Like this was a weird thing, this cultural moment, the podcast, they picked up on that roar. I was out in Portland. Um, I, that day I'd been sent a, a rough copy of the recording of the whole album and there was this roar on it. And I, I just played it to John Mark Homer, Mark Sayers, and they're like, 
we need to put that on the podcast. And because that podcast was blowing up, like all across the world, people were hearing this roar. I got inundated with messages like, we've heard the roar that's ringing out from King's Cross. And it felt like the favour of God saying something happened in the heavenlies and the enemy was trying to get in the way, but I've sent the roar global. How amazing is that? And God was beginning to move. We were being pruned. It was so painful, chapter four. We were being prepared, but seeds of new life were being scattered. We were crossing the Jordan, taking Jericho and getting ready for a new adventure. Which leads us then to chapter five. It's worth stating that we had a sabbatical um, before chapter five because we were wrecked, (laughs) totally, totally wrecked. Um, So we had a break um, and we really met with God um, and chapter five began and we felt we came back with a new message, which was this is to be a season of joy. Um, C.S. Lewis says joy is the serious business of heaven. It's the serious business of heaven. And if that's what we're going to be doing for all eternity, we we might as well prepare ourselves right now. I read this on sabbatical. I got really excited. This is Pete Gregg, who always articulates things beautiful. Suffering is inevitable in life, but joy isn't. So relentlessly pursue joy today. Laugh often, listen well, celebrate the wonder of the smallest, most ordinary things. Tragedy comes to us regardless, but joy is a butterfly, an elusive melody waiting to be named. Our surprising, unsolemn duty, therefore, is not just to weep at life's pain, but to seek and savour its bounty with fierce delight. To marvel at the simple magnificence of the mundane, the ephemeral light through a dirty window, that eternal moment between the first and second mouthfuls of banoffee pie. Amen. Light a fire tonight. Make the coffee strong, stretch your limbs, write someone a letter with a real actual pen, play Love Supreme by John Coltrane and should you happen to see a tree bedecked in lights or an innate tattoo or the iridescent flash of pink on a pigeon's head, stop and stare in wide-eyed wonder like a child, hallow the fleeting hours of this sacred pulse with an oratory of sighs, a liturgy of hugs and whoops and laughter, believe again in the fundamental goodness of stuff transubstantiated for us, receive again this day the blessed sacrament we came back from sabbatical we were on a mission we're going to hunt down joy like we've experienced tragedy but we're going to hunt down joy this feels like to me a season of joy it doesn't mean it's without pain as many of you all know on friday just as we were getting ready to go to the the 10th birthday i got a message that one of my dear friends caleb meekins had died He'd been in a car crash and had been fighting for his life for a couple of days. And then we got the news that he'd died. And at the 10th birthday, as we were parting, my head was spinning. I'm like, I, I just don't even understand this. Caleb was 31. He'd preached here just a few months ago. I had lunch with him. Like, I, I just can't understand this. And this is life, right? That we experience pain and we need to mourn with those that are mourning. But there is always cause for celebration. Paul says it like rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again just to emphasise that that's Paul, not me. Rejoice. Like there is always stuff to be grateful for. So pursue joy. This is a season of redemption. It's a season to leave for the 99, to go after lost sheep and experience the unrivaled joy of seeing lost sons and daughters reconciled to their father. In many ways, I believe this, the last 10 years have been about laying foundations and now it's time to build a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's time to play. It's time to inhabit the land. What's this next season about? Um, 
Well, this would be the story of the Exodus on the right-hand side of the screen. Deliverance, that's the Red Sea miracle. Blessing, they're given the, the Torah of the Ten Commandments as a vehicle to pursue blessing and no blessing, but the blessing for the sake of others. They again go through the wilderness, which is learning to trust God. Then they get to the banks of the Jordan. Consecrate yourselves, because tomorrow I'm going to do something amazing. Abundance is coming. And then they inhabit the land and the kingdom begins to break out. And as I was looking through this story, it felt like, oh my goodness, I feel like we've been on a similar journey. I might be wrong on this, um, but the, we've been through this deliverance, this birthing moment, establishing a home, like this blessing those years in York House, giving ourselves away, becoming a generous people, letting go and holding on, that we're not going to have a master strategy. We're going to follow the guide, the Spirit of God, the cloud by day, the fire by night. We've been through a season of pruning, war of desires, flushing out the idols, preparing ourselves for abundance and I believe this next season is about the sound of redemption it's about the sound of redemption so I, I'm going to land there and essentially what I want to do is I want to welcome you into the new season I want to say some thank yous because there's people I'm just so grateful for um, and ultimately we're going to thank God in a moment as we close in worship um, let me just name a few thank yous then Anyone that's been on staff at any point, even temping um, over the last 10 years, can you just stand wherever you are? If you've ever been on staff at KXC, um, there's current staff, others that have come back to join us this day. Can we just look around the room? They, they've been on this journey. They've shared in the highs, but they've been present in the lows. They've laughed and they've cried um, and we couldn't have done it without them. Can we just honour them with a huge round of applause? <clears throat> Okay, a couple of other quick thank yous then. Um, looking at these chapters, if you joined this, um, the church during chapter one, um, just put your hand in the air if you were there, it's 14th of February 2010. Um, look at that. Isn't that amazing? These faithful people that have been part of our story. But if you joined in chapter one between 2010 to 2012, can you stand? Wherever you are, just stand. Amazing. So can we just thank these guys who've like been part of this story? There we go, amazing. That is so cool. Okay, if you joined in chapter two, if you joined in chapter two, just stand wherever you are between 2012, 2015, amazing. Can we honour these guys? Incredible. Okay, if you joined in chapter three, 2015 to 2017, just stand wherever you are, those in chapter three. There we go, can we honour these guys? Amazing. There we go. Chapter four, consecration. Who joined in chapter four? There we go. Can we honour these guys that joined in that part of our story? And then if you've joined in 2019, carrying some energy for the next leg of the journey, do you want to stand those that have joined in the last year or two? Massive welcome. Massive welcome. <laughs> 